Morning. Are you well? Fantastic. I have missed you. I have missed you. Some more than others, but for the most part, for the most part, I miss you. Um, it's good to be back. For those who don't know, my name's Aaron. I'm the, the lead pastor here, and uh, I've been away for 12 weeks on sick leave. I've had some immune system problems and been to lots of doctors and been poked and prodded and scanned and all sorts of things. We're very, very, very blessed to have the medical system and infrastructure that we have here. So I'm able to go and get things sorted out, and I feel much, much better. Uh, things are moving really well, and I'm doing really well. So uh, thank you for your support and for your encouragement, and um, I'm very grateful to have had the time that I've had to be able to do what I've needed to do. So thank you very much for that, and I'm uh, excited about being here today. I'm excited about Advent coming up as we prepare and get ready for the birth and to celebrate the birth of Jesus and all that that means. I wanted to uh, say a really substantial and weighted thank you to our church council. Uh, our council leads us. Uh, this is a, a church that is, uh, we're a congregational church. That means that as a congregation, we elect uh, our leadership. We elect our, our ministry team leaders. We also elect a church council. And you as, uh, as a congregation elect a pastor, a senior pastor. And then we run the church and we are set parameters by you. And so the, the council and the leaders are incredibly important for our day today. So uh, they've done a fantastic and a wonderful job uh, without me here, which is very encouraging. Uh, so I'm grateful to them and, uh, and you should be as well uh, for them to have led you so well. For Brad and Claire and Chris and Glenda and the team who have, have looked after things, they've done a wonderful job. I've heard heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of very positive comments. So um, you guys have done a wonderful job. I'd like to give you a big round of applause, and I think you all should as well. So I'd like to pray and just say thank you to God for us as a church, and thank you to God for our, our leadership that we have. Um, and we're, we're very blessed. We, our bench runs deep, to use a cricket analogy and a basketball analogy, and uh, we're very grateful and very lucky to have uh, a group of people who are able to lead us. So let's pray and say thank you to God and, uh, and prepare for what uh, Psalm 34 has in store for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's a, a joy to be back in church. It's a joy to be back with the community of God, with this group of people. Uh, Father, we worship together, we pray together, we give uh, of what we have, we encourage each other, we celebrate each other. And part of what we do is we look after each other. And Lord, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that my people, that my community, my group uh, have been able to offer me the time I've needed to, to get my health right and, and be able to uh, find a way forward through some difficult things. And Lord, it's so good to know and to hear and to see the stories and the health of our church uh, upon return. Lord, I thank you for our council. I thank you for their wisdom, for their strength, for their, uh, for their unity. And Lord, I pray and I ask that as we move uh, through the Advent season and, and into the next year, Lord, that we will continue to make good decisions as a group, as a council, and as a leadership. Lord, for Brad and for Claire and for Chris and Glenda uh, and for our partial team, Lord, I thank you that we are able to uh, look after each other and support each other. Would you be with them? Would you bless them through the Advent season? And Lord, I pray and ask that they can have a refreshing time uh, over the coming weeks. And Lord, we can get into the new year and all the new things that we've got planned. God, I thank you for the compassion and grace of our church. And Lord, I thank you uh, that I'm grateful that I'm able to be a part of this place. 
Lord, as we look into Psalm 34, as we look into David's response to a significant story, would you uh, bring to mind and bring to memory events that will help this psalm to get into our spirit, into our soul, into our thinking, so as that we are able to do what David was able to do uh, and remember you in all things. Father, be with us as we open our Bibles, be with us as we begin to learn, and I pray and ask that, uh, that your Spirit will teach us new things, exciting things, and we will be reminded once again that you are a God who loves, pursues, and calls us to far more than we can ever do in and of ourselves. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said? So Psalm 34... For those of you who uh, have a Bible, please feel free to turn. Uh, we're going to be having a look at Psalm 34. Um, this picture that's up the front here, this is Masada, and this is a, a very important and significant place in Israel's history. This is one of the fortresses that David used to hide out in, King Herod made, and it's a place where it was virtually impenetrable. So you, you kind of couldn't get in. There was fresh water and food and everything stored up there. It was a palace. And in more modern times, in sort of when Rome had invaded Israel, this became a really significant place. A, a group of zealots, uh, fundamentalists who wanted Rome out of Israel at the time, uh, staged a rebellion and fled to Masada. And eventually, it's a very sad story, but eventually they, there was a sort of mass suicide up there after they had uh, pushed back with Rome for a very, very long time. It was a significant moment. And even today, for the, the soldiers in the Israeli army as they do their national service, they take their pledge and they go up to Masada and they stand there, this place that's so rich in history, and they make their vows and their pledges to care for and protect Israel from that place. That's an important part and it's an important background part for us and for this story. So just remember, this is a place in Israel's history that's important. So if you have your Bible, please feel free to turn, stick a finger in Psalm 34. And if you're a flicker and you'd like to flick, uh, please feel free to flick back to 1 Samuel 21. And 1 Samuel 21 takes us back to a place where a young man, David, has had a, an enormous victory. He's killed a, a giant called Goliath. He's done an amazing thing. He's rescued Israel from the, the imminent defeat from the, uh, the Philistines. And he is now a man who has been anointed to be king. The only problem is there is already a king that's still in Israel. And his name is Saul. Saul knows David is going to take his place. He knows he's going to lose his throne and his family line to this young boy, David. And so Saul is furious and he wants to go out and kill David. So David is now on the run. He's been anointed to be king, but he has to wait. And he will not kill the king because he wants to be respectful of God's timing. And he says, I have to wait until I'm ready and the, the nation is ready for me to be king. So he is now on the run. Saul is chasing him. He's trying to hunt him down and take his life and put a stop to this new Davidic lion that is going to come in. So David is on the run. We see him in this story in 1 Samuel 21 and he has no men around him. He's on his own. He's on his own and he's starving hungry and he finds his way to a priest and he says to the priest, I'm hungry. Have you got anything for me to eat? 
And the only thing the priest has is some bread that's been dedicated to God. And so normally you would not be allowed to eat that. David is so hungry. He takes it. He eats it. And then he says to the priest, do you have any weapons? Do you have any weapons? And the priest says to him, we don't have any weapons bar one. We've got one thing. The one thing that we have is the sword of Goliath. With the sword of Goliath, why it was in the church, I have no idea. But they had the sword of Goliath. And David said to the priests that this thing is amazing. He said, there is nothing like it. The sword of Goliath, there is nothing like it. Now we think back to the David and Goliath story. And we kind of, in Sunday school, we're always told about the, the slingshot and the rock and hit him in the head. But it's not the rock that killed Goliath. It's not the rock that killed Goliath. The rock stunned him and made him fall to the ground in a rather gruesome detail. David goes up after that, removes uh, Goliath's sword, and then uses it to remove Goliath's head from his body. So the sword of Goliath is, is this important thing because what it did was it took the head off the giant. The sword was what killed Goliath, not the stone. So for David, when he sees this sword, he sees what the sword represents. And the sword represents for him the moment that God empowered him and enabled him to overcome a giant as a boy, as a small young guy, overcoming this unbeatable giant. And this sword was a thing that sealed the deal. For him, this was almost a sacred item. He takes a hold of this sword and he takes it with him. Apparently it was an enormous thing. And David was, by all accounts, not a huge man. And he takes this big sword with him. He's on his own. He's fleeing. He's on the run. Everywhere he goes, people are hunting him and trying to to get him down. And he takes this sword. Imagine what it would have been like for him as the priest brings out this sword and he holds it in his hand again. Because this was the thing that I used that most delivered God's most presence to him ever. It gave him incredible power. It made him a national hero, changed his life and the life of his line forever because of what this sword did. This thing to him was a life-changing piece of steel. And we see when David gets it, he said, there is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Part one of the story. Part two of the story is as David is around there, he gets brought before the king of Gath. Now, where was Goliath from? Goliath was from Goliath of Gath. So here we have David who is without his men. He's on his own. People know of him. He's known because obviously he killed Goliath, but he's known also in the region because people know he's going to be the king of the future. And now he's taken before the king of the giant that he has slain not long ago. David is frightened and understandably scared. I would be terrified. I can't imagine. And not only that, but in some way he has this sword, which everybody would have known what it was about. So as David is brought before this king, he begins to act like a man who's got some mental health problems. He he stands there and he spits and he has all spit coming down his beard. He hits his head against the wall. He hits his head against the gate. And the king of Gath says, why have you brought this crazy man in front of me? 
Why have you bought? I've got enough crazy people around me, he says. In the story, it's a really odd and bizarre story. And eventually it works. And David is freed. He's released because they think he's absolutely no threat. David leaves the scenario behind. And as he does so, he finds himself in a place where he writes a worship song. And that's what a lot of the Psalms are. They're worship songs and they're prayers. And David writes Psalm 34 after this experience. After this experience. Made me think a little bit, especially about Goliath's sword. I was sort of I was a little bit unaware of how significant it was, but the the theologians and the commentary writers write quite a bit about how significant and important this was. And it got me thinking a little bit about church and church culture, and and there are funny things in churches and in church cultures that become sacred, aren't there? Like there are bits of furniture, or chairs, or there are services, or there are times, or there are structures. These things almost become sacred to us. Uh, And as a leader, when you change those things, you, you learn about what is sacred to your people when you move and change things. And it got me thinking about what it is that we sometimes put our our faith in. And, and for David, God had met him and used him when he held this sword in his hands. Something significant and profound happened to him. And it got me thinking that sometimes when we want to hold on to things and we don't want to let them go, it's because God has met us in those places and in those spaces. God has met us when we went to a certain experience or when we sat in a place or when the service was run the way that a service was run. God met me in that place. The thing is, is that God lives in us. He doesn't live in things. He doesn't live in items. He doesn't live in services. He doesn't live in swords. He's in you. And when you had an experience with God uh, at an item or at a significant thing, that thing is because the God of Father, Son, and Spirit, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And that's where the significance is. So that can happen whether you're shopping, whether you're praying at home, whether you're doing your gardening or looking after your children or having a coffee with a friend. Those significant things can happen anywhere when Father, Son, and Spirit has made His home in us. Amen? That leaves us free, doesn't it? It leaves us free to not be held to our tradition. It leaves us free to not be bound to the way that things have always been. Whether it's how I live my life, whether it's how I worship my God, whether it's what I do with my finances, what I do with my time, we have an incredible ability and capacity. We have a frightening freedom that God has given us. Because we go with Him, with Father, Son, and Spirit, them, we go everywhere. And anything can become sacred. It's exciting, isn't it? Mmm, I can tell. (laughs) Let's get into Psalm 34. Let's flick our Bible. Psalm 34. Let's have a little read. Um, I'm using a combination of the message in the NIV uh, because I think it does it justice. So I'm using a little bit of a combination of... So Psalm 34 verse 1. Let's read together. I bless God... Every chance I get, my lungs expand with His praise. I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Join me in spreading the news together. Let's get the word out. This writes like a man who has just been delivered from something in a miraculous setting, doesn't it? 
David says, I'm free. These guys should have killed me. The king should have gotten rid of me because soon enough I'll be king and I'm going to take over all this land and all your kingdom will be mine. Yet I was able to be, he thought, God had delivered him. He acted in the way that he acted and he was released. And now he's standing there and he's saying, something amazing has gone on and I want you all to know about it. I'm writing it down and I want you to sing of it. I want you to reflect on it. The, the rabbis used this psalm as a psalm where when we were going through struggle and hard times and difficulties, uh, Psalm 34 was one of those go-to psalms. The rabbis would encourage you when you were struggling to get the scroll out and to read and go through Psalm 34 because David was falling apart. He was in a place where he was in a mess and God delivered him. And Psalm 34 is a memory, is a response to that incredible, miraculous salvation experience that he had. Psalm 34 is an important psalm in Hebrew culture. So we're standing there. David is pronouncing this stuff and it's used by his people in order to bring them to a place of comfort while they're going through struggle. Let's keep going. God met me, then halfway he freed me from my anxious fears. Look at him. Give him your warmest smile. Never hide your feelings from him. And in the him is God. He's saying, Look at him. Look at God. Give him your warmest smile. Never hide your feelings from him, from God. When I was desperate, I called out and God got me out of a tight spot. God's angels set up a circle of protection around us. While God's, sorry, God's angel sets up a circle of protection around us while we pray. So we, we get this sense that for him it was this miraculous salvation. It was being saved from imminent death. And he wants this to, to know that there's this kind of nakedness we can have before God. There's this putting off of the right thing, putting off of maybe how we want to be seen. And we can stand before God and just allow ourselves to be. And in this kind of nakedness, in this spiritual and emotional nakedness, God meets us. For David, that's what he's saying. I was frightened, I was fearful, and God met me there. I was frightened and I was fearful, and God met me there. And I'm not going to hide my feelings from him anymore. I'm not going to pretend anymore. I'm, I'm able to be honest. Because if we allow fear to determine our worldview, if we allow fear to determine the way that we see things, then everything we experience in life will come through the filter of fear. And when we're in that place, we rarely make good decisions. We rarely make good decisions. David wants his people to remember that God had rescued him. God had rescued them. And as you kind of read through Theologians speak about how all the way through there's these tiny little memories and touchstones of the Exodus story and how God had delivered Israel through the Exodus story and how there are these words that would reimagine that story, that would ignite that story back into the mind of the reader as God had rescued his people. He wants them to remember, he wants them to rekindle the experiences they had when God stepped into their story and did something miraculous. When was the last time that God stepped into your story and did something remarkable, did something amazing? 
One of those experiences where you just know in your soul, you know in your bones, in your heart, that God is present and He's moving and He's active and I can hear Him. We're doing this together. David wants his readers to rekindle those stories, to bring them back. Because remember, this psalm was the psalm to be read when you were going through struggle, when you were going through hard times, when it wasn't going the way that you wanted, when you were before a king and he can take your life at any moment, when you're starving, hungry. David wants you to remember those experiences and recall how God can rescue you in those desperate, desperate times. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His holy people. For those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. When he speaks about fear here, it's not a fear of being afraid and frightened because you think you're going to be hurt. Uh, It's a fear that is grounded in deep respect. It's a fear that uh, is grounded in love and knowing the other person has goodwill towards you. That's the fear that he speaks of. He basically says, we've got to see that God is good. In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our hard times, in the midst of our difficulty, we have to remember that God is good. And that to love Him in this place is to, is to be able to make our way through the difficulty, is to be able to make our way through the struggle. And when he speaks about lions there, lions were these, these creatures or these animals that were just feared, obviously. But he says even they grow weak, but God doesn't. We can be present with him and we can make our way through. So we start to think <clears throat> a little bit about some, some Exodus-style stories. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking to you about this today because um, before I began my leave, uh, my friend Anthony from Lakeside Baptist Church, he sent me a text message. Uh, I was getting ready to, to go on leave. I was trying to get everything done. He sent me a text message and it was Psalm 34. And he said, I think this is important for you and I think you should read it. I said, yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. And so I've got all this stuff to do. I've got all these things to, to make happen before I go. And so Monday comes after Sunday. So I finish and and start and take the kids to school and Zoe goes off and does her stuff for work and and I'm sitting at home and I thought well what do I do what do I do so I thought oh I'll go and have watch tv and so I've watched tv for about 40 minutes and I'm like oh what do you what do you do all day you know what do you do because I'm used to being busy I'm used to having things to do and so I'm standing there, I have my phone I was looking through some messages and I saw this one from my friend Anthony and I thought you know what, I've got some time. So I made a coffee, I sat down, I got my Bible out, I opened it up and I read Psalm 34. And I thought, that's a really interesting start. And I sat there for a bit because I had time. I don't normally have time. Sat there for a bit and then I thought, I'll read that again. And I read it again. I thought, I'll read that again. And I read it again. And I read it again. And I read it again. And I sat there and for some reason there was something profound that happened because I started reading the Samuel story as well, I started to understand that David was in a mess. He was at the end of himself and he needed deliverance. He needed someone to step in. He needed something bigger. I'm sitting at my kitchen table in my pajamas. It's 9.30 and I'm bored. 
My body's not working the way that I wanted it to work. Nothing's doing what I wanted it to do. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I need help. I'm stuck. I'm 42 and I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And I sat there and I got my journal out. I blew the dust off it and I started writing in there again. And I began, as I began to write, I didn't have any plans about what to write, but I just started writing prayers in there about how I needed saving and what I needed saving from. And as I began to write, more and more and more stories began to pop up and memories began to pop up about how God had met us, how God had rescued us, how God had saved us. And I started thinking about when we were first married and I started thinking about how God stepped in at certain points in our our story and did something incredible, how we struggled to get through Bible college and we couldn't afford anything. And the amount of times that we were miraculously provided for was out of this world. Those stories started flooding back into my consciousness, into my memory. And I started writing them down and I'm thinking, wow, Throughout my life, when times have been hard, when I've struggled, God has stepped in and met me. God has stepped in and provided for me. God has stepped in and helped me. That's an exodus moment. It's an exodus moment because in this moment when I'm struggling, in this moment when I felt quite powerless, in this moment where I could do very little, I had a direct memory, a direct exodus experience of a time when I was like that before and God had stepped in. God had stepped in and met me. God had stepped in and met my family. God had stepped in and ushered us through and walked us through a struggle. What David is trying to do in this story is he's trying to help his people remember that God has met them from time to time. God has met them in their journey and he wants them to grab those memories and bring them up and sit with them at the table and say, you're going through a struggle. You're going through difficulty. You're going through a hard time. But remember when? Do you remember when? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? I remember when my car got stolen. We had no money. We had nothing. My car got stolen and my brother rings me up and says, Aaron, I feel like I need to buy you a car. I went, oh, it's all real. This stuff is all It was a, an amazing thing. That story pops back up and I go, far out. I've forgotten about that. I've forgotten about that. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I'm in my pajamas. It's 9.30. My body's broken. It's not working the way I want it to. And I'm sitting there. I go, I have a God who is with me. I have a God who has stepped in again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Guess what? I'm standing at the foot of a struggle. I'm standing at the beginning of a struggle. And guess what? I'm not on my own. Amen? Do you have Exodus stories close at hand? I can speak to you with all this passion because I've had an experience where those things I had forgotten about, they were gone from my memory and all that was in my memory was the present and the struggles and what needed to be done and how I wasn't able to do it. I've had a little bit of time and now I can stand back and say, do you know what, all those stories that I had pushed back I need those stories. I need those times when God has stepped in. Because at the beginning of a struggle is where I need to remember that I've got a God who loves me and looks after me and will be present all the way through. Amen? Your Exodus stories are so precious. 
Those moments, those experiences when God has stepped in and met you, they are precious gems and jewels and gold that you need to hold on to and get out and polish often. Because that is what will get you through the midst of a struggle where you are powerless. Where you are powerless. I found, uh, I read this psalm almost every day for my whole 12 weeks. And in my journal, as I read it, and I I remembered another experience, I remembered another time. And then I started remembering other times that God had stepped in on behalf of other people. I started remembering times uh, when God had stepped in on behalf of family members and when God had stepped in on behalf of people that I've been praying with. And I'm starting to gather this momentum, almost like a wave, and I'm thinking, okay, we aren't on our own. I am not by myself, and neither are you. Neither are you. Because life will beat you down. Life will put in front of you the, the, the urgent. And when we're, when we're living our lives dealing with the urgent, we forget our Exodus stories. We forget those times when God mystically encountered us, where, where we're reading our Bibles and a verse or a word jumps out on the page and it's just loud and you know that, that the Spirit is, is illuminating something before you. When we're stuck in the urgency of the day-to-day and the urgency of what is loudest, we forget those moments of God meeting us. And when we forget those, we get bluffed into thinking that everything depends on me coming through. And when everything depends on me coming through, we fail and we fall and we struggle. We get addicted because we need relief. When we get into those places, God is so far from us. And even when he calls and even when he woos and even when he attempts to speak, we are so caught up in the moment, we miss it all. David wanted his people to remember that even in the midst of being in the king's court of the king of the giant he had just slayed, God was with him. God was with him. Do you have your Exodus stories close at hand? Are there stories of God's provision? Are there stories of God's words, God's thoughts, scripture that has come alive to you? Are those things close at hand? Because we desperately, desperately need them to be. Verse 11. Come, children, listen closely. I'll give you a lesson in God worship. Who out there has a lust for life? Can't wait for each day to come upon beauty. Guard your tongue from profanity and no more lying through your teeth. Turn your back on sin and do something good. Embrace peace And don't let it get away. Simple things, wise things. Do these things and life will be good for you. Remember your God stories. Remember your Exodus moments. David tells us in this moment of truth, hold on to these things because this is how we remember that God is with us. God keeps an eye on his friends. His ears pick up every moan and groan. God won't put up with rebels who cull them from the pack. Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help, catch your, he'll help you catch your breath. 
disciples so often get into trouble. Still, God is there every time. He's your bodyguard, shielding every bone. Not even a finger gets broken. The wicked will commit slow suicide. They'll waste their lives hating the good. God pays for each slave's freedom. No one who runs to him loses out. A message of hope. A message of remember your Exodus stories. Remember the moments when God has met you, where he has delivered you, where he has spoken and you have heard, where someone else's kindness or grace has ministered to you. These things we need to hold here. And remember that God is with us and he's present. I read this psalm most days and then I started reading the next one. So you read this one and it's this hope-filled, amazing experience. You read Psalm 35 and he starts off saying, I want everyone dead. Kill all these people who are against me. I'm all on my own. I'm all alone. That's the psalms. They're up and down. They're so reflective of reality. Hear me well. I'm not saying that we have to live in this sort of, you know, high place of of never being down or never being sad. Psalm 35 is the complete opposite, but ends in hope. But what David wants us to understand is that if we keep our God encounters close, when we're going through and in the midst of struggle, we're able to call on those things and they create a swell, they create a tide which helps us get through the struggle and get through the difficulty in order for us to be able to continue to serve God and love well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you give us the Bible and we read it and it's a, a, a library collection of all sorts of writings by all sorts of authors and these writings point us towards your character, towards your heart, towards your desire for us as people. We live in a broken, fallen world. We live in a place where there is sin. We live in a place where we are selfish. We live in a place where we so easily think that everything revolves around and relies upon us and us coming through, me coming through. And Father, there are times and moments in life where we are shown very clearly that we can only go so far and we can only offer so much. God, I pray and I ask for all of us sitting here, would you rekindle, would you bring those memories, those times when your voice has been clear, those times when your will has been uh, easy to discern, when you have stepped in and, and done something amazing, where you have healed, where you have restored, where you have redeemed and renewed. Would you bring those things to our, our, our close recall memory? Would you help us to think of them as we're at work on Monday, as we're washing the car, as we're eating lunch? Would you bring those things so that we can recall them close? And Father, for any at the moment who are standing at the foot of a significant challenge, standing at the foot where they know they've come to the end of what they can do and now they have to wait or ride for someone who's got a difficult diagnosis, for someone who's in the midst of financial struggle, for someone who's in the midst of relational turmoil, for someone who's just lonely, Father, would you bring these experiences with you back? And Lord, I pray and I ask that the momentum, that the wave, that the swell is created and it will assist us to put one foot in front of the other, 
it will assist us to step through today, to, st- to step through tomorrow, and to begin that very long and slow process of walking with you in the midst of a struggle. God, I pray, bring our memories, bring our experiences back, and I pray that we are able to grab them, polish them, hold them, see them, and re-experience them once again, and see that there is profound power in our memory. There is profound power in remembering how you have met us and allow it to do what you want it to do. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, church.